if you have a Bible, I just want to open up to Matthew chapter 2. I want to read the story of uh, the wise men in Herod. Um, under the theme of um, what do you do with the indifference, or those who are un- uninterested, I guess is the word that we chose. This season, we've kind of chosen to look at the times that God gathers together different groups of people in the Christmas story. And last week, we learned that Christmas is for uh, the unlikely that God chooses through the genealogy to use a very unlikely group of people to do the work that he did. And he still chooses a very unlikely group of people to do the work that he does today. But oftentimes when God includes us in that work, um, one of the things that happens is that um, we have this interest in Jesus and we know him and we love him and we appreciate him and what he's done and what he can do. And yet... Um, when you go to share that interest with other people, sometimes there is a level of uninterest from others. And that can be discouraging. That can kind of just kind of make you sad in a, in a lot of ways. And so I want us to take a, a peek here quickly here this morning just to think about what does God do with the uninterested? If you're a teacher or involved in school, you know that this week probably isn't going to be a fun week uh, because it's the week before Christmas break, and I'm sure the kids have already checked out. But I love this poem that was written by Amy Olschlager many years ago um, called Twas the Week Before Christmas. It says this, Twas the week before Christmas and all through the school. The children were crazy. I was losing my cool. Their papers aren't finished. They don't want to work. But when I try to make them, I feel like a jerk. I am tired. I'm cranky. These kids have it coming. But I stop and think, what a Scrooge I'm becoming. So I tune out their chatter and I try to enjoy the last days before Christmas with each girl and boy. They are so excited and buzz with holiday cheer. And then homemade presents begin to appear. Be glittered and fashioned with craft sticks and glue. And of course, there's a best teacher mug or two. The last day, they come as candy-crazed creatures. But then, it's two weeks of break. I love being a teacher. Um, That feeling of a group of people who will not listen or, or engage with something that you find very important is not isolated to just being teachers that's true of all of us. And so um, as we think about that, I want you to listen to this story from Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I just want you to process and look at this with those lenses. God has a, a man in this story who is very uninterested, but Christmas is still for him. Even though he doesn't like it, even though he fights against it, but Christmas is still for Herod, even though he hates it. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, there's our gathering, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose ahead of them until it stopped, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. In the verses that follows, God shows up to Joseph and tells him to take his family to Egypt to get away from Herod because of Herod's wrath. And then verse 14 picks up with this. And so he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Herod is quite obviously not very interested in putting his life under the influence of Jesus. We can all relate to that. We probably have all been there. We, we fight that ourselves. And, and again, as people who love Jesus, who, who, who want to share Jesus with other people, oftentimes we find that same level of disinterest. But God is interested in those who are not interested in him. And the good news of this is that God does something in Herod's life. He gives him an opportunity that I think is unique, that is an example for us when we are maybe struggling with discouragement or are thinking, man, I just wish they would have this interest like I do. And so I just want to look at four things, the four quick words here that I want you to, to see about the gospel and just three quick questions I want you to ask with me. I think one of the ways that God approaches people who are uninterested in him is this word, is with gospel intersections. Um, that's a big word. That's bigger than words than I usually use. I get that. A gospel intersection, right? Here's Herod. Here's all the people of Jerusalem just going about their normal everyday things. And all of a sudden, these wise men show up in their town. They didn't ask for it. They had no idea where they came from, but there's this intersection and God could have led them around Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but he didn't. They stop and they begin to ask questions. And all of those questions begin to raise the idea in each one's mind who is there in Jerusalem, who sees them come in and Herod's questions and the, and the religious leaders' questions and answers. He is causing them to stop and, and have this intersection between their life and what God is doing in the world's. Now again, none of them were really interested in what God was doing in Bethlehem because um, the religious leaders hear the questions and, and they don't go. Herod has ulterior motives. It's a threat to him. He's not really interested in who Jesus is uh, as king of, the, king, of the, if king of Israel, God's Messiah. But yet God still gives this gospel intersection in their life where his work crisscrosses with their lives. And I think that's an encouraging thing. Because part of the reason, as we'll see here in a moment, is, is why you are where you are, is that God wants your life as a believer in Christ to intersect with the lives of people who maybe aren't interested, but God still cares about those people, and so he allows your life to intersect with their life. And so gospel intersections then lead to the second thing I want you to see, and that's gospel calculations, all right? Gospel calculations. Now, what do I mean by that? Those interactions begin to make people think. Because you don't have to listen to the gospel very long before you realize that this gospel, if I really embrace it, 
something's going to change, right? Something's got to give. I can't continue on the same path I am and embrace the gospel. The gospel always changes us. Jesus always changes us in various ways. And so we have to wrestle with the worth of the gospel. Is this gospel promise worth trading away my life for? What is it demanding of me? What is being asked of me in this moment? And we oftentimes want the gospel on our terms, right? I want Jesus and my will, but it doesn't work that way. Because Jesus' will wins. And so what Jesus wants is what we have to commit to and surrender ourselves to. The gospel is not embraced on our terms, it's embraced on God's terms. And so when the gospel comes to Herod, when it comes to the people of Jerusalem, Herod begins to do the math in his head. Um, I don't know if you like memes or not. I, I have teenagers, so those float around in my world, but I like this one. That may be perhaps Herod's reaction. It says, wise men, we're here to see the king. Herod, that would be me. Wise men, LOL, not you, the new king. And then there's that one that floats around the internet every once in a while. Um, him thinking, like, wow, that's, that's not the news I wanted to hear today. Because Herod is all about himself. Herod is all about his own kingdom, his own rule, his own wants. And yet, King Jesus, a new king, is now on the premises. And so he has to begin to do the math in his mind. Um, the powerful thing about this intersection is the conflict of kingdoms that you see here. That the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Christ came to establish, now is in competition with the kingdoms of men, the kingdom of Herod, the kingdom of, of, of Rome, the kingdom of you and me. And so something has to give. And so all the calculations and the math begins to go on in our minds and we find ourselves thinking, okay, who's going to lead my life now? And for Herod, Herod's answer is pretty clear. We'll see that in a second. But for you and me, we have to ask that daily. Like, who's going to lead my life? Jesus would talk about this in Matthew 16, uh, verse 24, when he would say, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So do you see Herod in that? Right? What's Herod want? Herod wants to keep his life that he has built on his own terms. And in Jesus' definition of things, he lost the life that he could have had because he wanted to hold on to his own life versus those who are willing to give up life. The wise men probably are a little bit of that. They have traveled at great expense. They have risked traveling at a dangerous time in history to travel long distances. They have spent time, energy, effort, gifts to give. They have invested much into this of themselves to give to finding Jesus. Because they were willing to lose some of their life, they gained the life that Jesus wanted them to find. And so that illustrates the idea that those calculations are, are always going on in our mind. And so, again, God puts your life to intersect with people who may not be interested, but when they see a good example in you, when they hear things, when you love them, when you pray for them, um, it causes those calculations to go off in people's minds. And that leads to a third thing. There's gospel reactions. Um, there are reactions that we can't just not do anything with that, right? It requires uh, a decision, right? Whoever was the wise man who says, whenever you come to a fork in the road, take it, all right? That whole thing, we, got to, we have to make a decision here. That was a joke, by the way. Um, uh, that was, there's, a, there's a decision that must be made in that moment. And so we all do the math in our lives, show the response of that decision. The religious leaders who were called into Herod's throne room, they answered the question when he asked, well, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem, but apparently they didn't go. 
They just kind of were interested, had their own thing, busy doing their own things. Herod acts in anger at the threat that Jesus was to him. And the wise men continued on following step by step, following the star, till they find Jesus. And those gospel reactions have consequences, and that's the fourth thing I want you to see, the gospel ramifications. That Herod's rejection led to a life that ended up being all about him. And this is near the end of Herod's life. It will not be long in, in history, in 454 BC, that Herod will die. And he will leave everything that he has built, all the palaces, the temples, all the incredible things he has built and monum as monuments to him, he will lose them all because he will die. But not only did he live selfishly, but his selfishness brought great pain to many people's lives because of his anger and his jealousy and his resentment towards anything that would compete with the allegiance to himself as Matthew shows. The wise men, on the other hand, the ramifications of their decision, they brought treasures to give, but found a greater treasure that they were glad to give to, the glad, glad to, to live for and risk for and, and find in that. The text talks about them having joy and, and worship of Christ, and, and they couldn't have left that scene differently. They had to have, excuse me, they had to have left that scene differently than, than they came because of what they had experienced. And so the gospel intersections create calculations in our minds that create reactions out of our life that all have ramifications for who we are and how we live. And so just three questions I just want you to ask with me this morning that maybe help us apply this in this season. Number one, I want you to realize, the first one's not a question, I should say that, realize, number one, that God uses you in gospel intersections in big and little ways. When we went through Ephesians, Paul continued to use this phrase that not just for certain people, but for the church, that God wants, Paul wanted, God, Christ wants his fullness to dwell in each one of us. And why is that? It's because of this right here. That God wants your life to be a kingdom presence, a Jesus presence in the life of the world in which you live. And you go to places in your world that I will never go to, and I go to places you will never go to. And, 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 and again, in a, in, a, in a church body, we all go to different places. And God wants all of us to see ourselves. You know what? Part of my life mission is to be just gospel intersections where the kingdom meets people who may be interested, may be uninterested, but God wants me to be that. And maybe it's in big ways. Maybe there's some big thing that will happen, and, and you get to be present in a key moment in someone's life. And that's a great thing. But maybe it's just in little ways. Maybe it's just a daily presence over years that you're just there and you love them and you care for them, you pray for them, you help them, you invest into their life. They may or may not ever be interested, but they can never die saying, you know what, there wasn't a kingdom presence in my life because there was my friend. There was that person who loved me and who was there. Jesus would describe us as salt and light in Matthew chapter five. And so realize that God uses you in gospel intersections in big little ways. Number two, don't be surprised at the various responses to the gospel. It is not your job to control the reaction of what people do. And this story certainly is testament to that. Um, nobody likes to try to do something good and have it blow up in your face. And that, but that seems a lot of what happens here in this text, that the wise men show up, they're sincerely asking the question, hey, if we were to find the king of the Jews, where, where might we go? And yet Herod's response to that good news of the king arriving is violent, angry, um, vengeful. It's ugly. And so that's not the wise men's fault. 
They simply asked the questions, and the response was ugly. And so it can be scary for us sometimes that when I try to be that kingdom intersection in someone's life to be that, and then someone maybe responds frustratingly, they respond in anger, or they respond uh, with harsh words, they respond with harsh actions, that can be discouraging and can kind of cause us to think, well, maybe something went wrong there. But I want you to realize that we should not be surprised at the various responses to the gospel because Herod, this whole reaction just really shows the struggle going on in Herod's life. He's struggling. Who's going to be the king of my life? And his determined stance was, it's going to be me, and I will fight Jesus at every turn. I will win, but he lost. And so Peter would write this in 1 Peter 4, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. So we ought not to think it strange when we get a Herod-like reaction for trying to do good, godly things. Now, not everybody's going to do that, but some will. So don't be discouraged if that happens. But third is this one. And this is the one that I think that we sometimes, I've kind of preached this from the perspective of other people being disinterested, but we have to fight disinterest on our own hearts and our own life. And so this third question asks that. How are you responding to the math of following after Christ? How are you responding to the, to the, to the contemplation that, that the gospel calls of you and I? You see, all of us have a step that God is calling us to take next in our following after Jesus. That's not just at the beginning of your walk with Jesus. Some of us who've been walking for Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years, there's a step that Jesus wants you to take next. There is. Uh, and oftentimes, though, we, we just quit listening. We become uninterested in the next step that God wants us to take. And so where is the Holy Spirit working or convicting or challenging you in your life? Now, every step that God calls us to has consequences. There are fears to be wrestled with. There are promises to be embraced. But all along the way, God is calling us forward, deeper, closer to Christ. And so where is God calling you? Maybe you're new to this whole faith thing, and God is calling you to investigate the truths of Christ and the gospel. Maybe you've been wrestling in your spirit, and it's the next step for you is to quit fighting against the Lord's ways and his will and to repent, to surrender. Maybe it's next step for you is to confess Christ as the Lord of your life and the true leader of your life and to say, you know what? No longer will I be Herod fighting for me. I'm going to follow King Jesus. Maybe your next step is to surrender to Christ in baptism. Maybe your next step is to be more faithful in meeting with him and reading his word and praying to him and, and that you just neglect that step and God is calling you to walk in relationship with him. Maybe your next step is to be intentional, to be speaking up for your faith, to be confident in him to do that. Maybe your next step is to lay down that grudge you've been holding on to for so long and to finally wrestle with that and to get past that with his help. Maybe your next step is to involve yourself in the life of someone who needs it, walking committedly, caringly, lovingly into someone else's life and say, I'm here for the long haul. There could be dozens of others, but I guarantee you, God is always calling anyone who's a follower of his to another step, to the next place that's closer and deeper in that walk with Christ. And he will never have an end to the list of steps 
until you stand before him and you take that final step into his presence. And so maybe you're new to faith. There are new steps for you. But maybe you're an old timer in this whole faith thing. I pray that my heart and your heart would not become uninterested in, well, what's the next step that God would have for me? May we be like those wise men who, as they followed the star, they, uh, they didn't know where the next step was, but they just followed one step at a time, and they found themselves in the presence of Jesus because of it. And so may our hearts resist the temptation or the hardness or the callousness to grow disinterested in the next step, the next thing that God is leading us into in our life. And if we have that heart that is willing to follow, that is willing to, to pursue and, and, to, and to follow him, may we enjoy seeing Christ grow in us and our relationship with him grow and thrive and be what it should be in him. So this morning, as we finish this, um, we're just going to stand together in a moment and we're gonna pray. But for now, I'm gonna ask us to be quiet. And I just want you to bow your heads and I want you to ask that question um, of God. God, what is the next thing that you are inviting me into? What is the next thing that you call me to? And I want you just to quietness of this moment to just listen to the answer. And so if you'd bow your heads and just ask that question of God. God is, what is the next thing that you are calling me into in my walk with you?